So that's a big 10-year gap where you were surrounded by people who generally didn't know what was going on at home and couldn't offer support. Tell us about that. So I was frequently getting sit-down talks with teachers and other staff members of my school who were wanting to know why I wasn't always getting my homework done on time and why there was stains on my uniform that would reappear constantly. They didn't understand that I was learning how to wash clothes Mm. and I couldn't do my homework because first my brother had to be taken care of and my mum and I had to make sure that everything was ready with her and the house and learning how to cook before I could even begin my homework. From the Kara Gateway at the Benevolent Society, we welcome you to Kara Conversations with your host, Patty Kikos. The Kara Gateway is the Australian Government National Kara Hub and provides reliable services, support and advice, especially for carers. This podcast is where we share interviews with guests that have specialised knowledge to help support carers to look after their emotional, mental and physical well-being. We are recording on Aboriginal country, on lands which were never ceded. We acknowledge the traditional custodians and cultural knowledge holders of these lands and waters. We pay our respects to Aboriginal elders, past and present. Always was, always will be. Greetings to you fabulous carers and listeners. I hope you've been well and that you are looking after yourself while you look after your loved ones as well. Today, I have the absolute pleasure of introducing you to a fabulous young carer who is also Indigenous. Sierra is 24 years young and has been a carer, indeed a young carer, since she was nine years old. For many people that have been in an industry for 16 years, They often get promoted to more senior positions, but this isn't always the case in a caring role. If anything, had she not received the support that she has recently, she would have burnt out, as Sierra not only cares for her mum, who was diagnosed with dementia at only 48, she also cares for her younger brother, who is autistic, dyslexic, and has also been diagnosed with ADHD, ADD, oppositional behaviour disorder, an obsessive compulsive disorder. Sierra is a First Nations Wiradjuri woman who lives in the central west of New South Wales with her mother, attends university at Charles Sturt University and is studying to become a registered nurse. She and her other two best friends are all carers and they have made it a mission to embark on various road trips around New South Wales to see the parts of the country that they missed out on exploring while they were deep in their caring roles during their adolescence. This has been very inspiring for Sierra, and she's also a proud godmother to three beautiful children and is looking forward to the day when she has her own. In the meantime, she's the proud owner to a grumpy 11-year-old cat named Daria, whom she rescued after her previous owner could no longer take care of her and Sierra could not bear the thought of her being put down. Sierra, hello and welcome. Is there anything in particular that has inspired you to be on the Carer Conversations podcast today. So I wanted to join you on the podcast today to remove the stigma of being a young carer and of being an Indigenous young carer as Mm. well and also provide a voice for those who often don't get talked about when caring is being discussed. Oftentimes 
they are discussing older people caring for parents. And a lot of the times young carers just aren't mentioned or aren't even, people aren't even aware that young carers exist and that we are, you know, going to school dressed in our uniforms, having been the one to wash them, being the one to get our family up, dressed, medicated and ready for the day as well. And that before we go home. Yeah, that's right. I love that you're making the caring role more credible in today's society as it's a role that has traditionally been invisible. It's something an auntie or a grandma did for an elderly person, but it's not quite like that anymore. Can you take us on a journey back in time when your caring role officially started by telling us a little about your family history? Sounds lovely. Uh, So I am the middle of three children. And my mum became a single mother quite unexpectedly while she was pregnant with me. And when she had my little brother when I was seven, he was born with quite significant developmental delays, as well as autism, ADHD and dyslexia, among others. Mm -hmm. When I was nine, my mum became incredibly unwell quite rapidly. She went from being the mum who was always involved in the PNC and tutoring at the school and always around to suddenly not being able to take care of herself or take care of us while she was in the hospital before she came home and before we even knew how bad it was we were staying with some family friends who kept reassuring us as we all reassure other children that things will be okay and things will be back to normal before you know it and unfortunately in our situation that was not the case when mum came home my sister and I slowly began to realise that mum just wasn't the same. She wasn't as healthy as she'd been before and she couldn't keep up with the house like she had been doing. So how long was she in hospital and who did you stay with while she was in hospital? So mum was in hospital for just short of a month, I believe. That's a long time when you're little. Yeah, and she... She ended up back in hospital within two weeks of her release um, with the same um, medical issue that put her in hospital to begin with. And she was in for two weeks then and then released. Um, So uh, before her discharge, who did you stay with? Who did you and your two siblings stay with? So we stayed with my cricket coach and his wife and their kids. We'd become quite close friends Um when I was playing cricket on the team that he coaches and we stayed with them and their son and daughter and their many, many cats. Okay, so both times. Yeah. Is this where the love of cats? Most likely. Okay. (laughs) So after your mum's second hospital discharge, is that when you and your sister realised that you were going to become her carers? Yeah, so... Sometime after her second discharge in the space of two months, um, my sister and I, we were nine and 12 respectively, and we simply couldn't, we could see that mum wasn't coping anymore and slowly but surely noticed that she was going to need help with everything. Yeah. So we started, we started slowly just tidying up more and more. And then, you know, we started doing all the household chores and looking after my brother, getting him off to his preschool, potty training, 
potty the training whole thing. a younger sibling when you were only nine yourself, yeah. a younger sibling that had a different gender to you. What was the most challenging aspect for you? Trying to juggle everything while surrounded by people who generally didn't notice what was happening. Or if they did, they didn't understand why. Why couldn't we just let mum do it and just be kids? Mm. They didn't understand that mum was no longer physically capable of doing doing the household chores and looking after us like she used to. Had she already been diagnosed with early onset dementia at this stage? No. So she was diagnosed with dementia when I was around 16 and the doctor who diagnosed her was so it's I believe that he was so scared to tell her exactly what it was that he glossed over it by saying simply she had calcification in the brain leading to memory complications. Calcifications in the brain is the pathophysical presentation mm. of dementia. Mm. He noted in her chart that he she had dementia without telling her, without mm. explaining what it actually was. I was the one who explained it to my mother when I was 19 and studying an assistant nursing mm. course and had understood what it was, I talked to the GP and confirmed my suspicions before I spoke with mum. So that's a big 10-year gap where you were surrounded by people who generally didn't know what was going on at home and couldn't offer support. Tell us about that. So I was frequently getting sit-down talks with teachers and other staff members of my school who were wanting to know why I wasn't always getting my homework done on time and why there was stains on my uniform that would reappear constantly. They didn't understand that I was learning how to wash clothes mm. and I couldn't do my homework because first my brother had to be taken care of and my mum and I had to make sure that everything was ready with her and the house and learning how to cook before I could even begin my homework. That's a massive weight on your shoulders. That's a big responsibility. Did you not have family members, aunts, uncles, grandparents, anyone that was also able to assist? So by the time I entered primary school, my grandmother had already passed away and my aunt and uncle live... So my, sorry. So my aunt and her husband live in town but she and my mother had had a falling out when our grandmother, when my grandmother passed away mm -hmm. and that just ended their relationship as it was at the time and my uncle lives out in the far west mm -hmm. and also doesn't have a close relationship with my family. My father was not in the picture and was unable and unwilling to help out. That's right. And so you weren't connected to services that would be able to assist you either, were you? No. So we didn't know, my sister and I were not aware that we were young carers. We'd never even heard the term carer before. So it wasn't until my sister entered high school several years after um, that we had any idea that we were carers. People came to her school and did a presentation on carers and what it was. And I'll be forever thankful because it showed her 
that we were carers. She came home and told me and sat me down and we talked about it and realised that what we were doing was far beyond the usual helping out after school. Yeah, it wasn't just your turn to do the dishes. No. We were doing every household chore the best way we could think of and learning things the hard way by messing up over and over just to try and get things done. Yeah. Your brother started primary school when you started high school and you took on a parenting role when you were barely a teenager yourself, often rocking up to parent-teacher interviews in your school uniform. Can you share a little bit about that period in your life? Because your older sister was unable to help you look after him. Isn't that right? Yeah, so she found it incredibly difficult to help with my brother. She found that his developmental issues made him too frustrating to handle. Mm. She had a hard time understanding why he reacted the way he did to certain things and why he would become overstimulated. So often it would be left up to me to deal with my brother and help raise him and try and manage his moods. And did that mean that you looked after your brother while she looked after your mum or did you end up doing both? So I looked after my brother while helping my sister with mum. So mum often required both my sister and I to help her with everything and I would look after my brother while also trying to teach him just how to function and how to be a good person. And there was a juggle with uh, showing up for not just your teachers but his as well. Share a little bit about that if you like. So I would go to his parent-teacher meetings and organise everything because mum oftentimes didn't know the answers to their questions or wasn't aware of what he was up to in school and about, about what it was like for him and why he acted the way he did. We didn't know yet about his diagnosis. When did that come about? He was diagnosed when a teacher referred him for testing when he was around six or seven. Mm. So for the first year or two of primary school, we didn't know um, that he had developmental issues. My family and I are the youngest of the cousins, so everyone was already in their teens. How did you manage the difficulties with your sister who was not able to help? Was there resentment or was there any anger towards her? I often thought I should feel resentful towards her, but for the most part, I just tried to understand that everyone has a limit. And this is obviously a wonderful and mature reflection that you have in your mid-twenties, but as a teenager when you were growing up, I can't help but feel curious about any feeling of injustice. I often felt as a teenager that I was missing out and I felt like... My sister was like a helicopter mum. She always wanted to know where I was and what I was doing and who I was with when I would be back. And it was incredibly frustrating. I just wanted to hang out with my friends and talk to boys and, you know, go to the parties that teenagers go to. Yeah. But I had to do, help my brother with his homework and do the washing up and make sure his uniform was washed for soccer and that he didn't have dirty underwear hiding under his bed Mm. just for him to come out Monday morning and say, I've got no clean undies for school. Mm. 
And you go, well, why didn't you bring them out? You weren't home to tell me. Yeah. It's a big responsibility to have when you're still developing mentally and physically yourself, isn't it? It can be incredibly jarring to realise just how different you are from people your age, from your friends. They will come to school and complain about, mum and dad are so mean, they made me put the wiping up away last night or wash up after dinner. Don't they understand I have a life and I want to live it? The audacity. And I'm sitting there thinking, that sounds like such a lovely, relaxing night. You know, I... That's a night off for me. Yeah, I made dinner. I washed up, I wiped up, I put it all away. And then I helped my brother with his homework and then had to calm him down from a meltdown when he was overstimulated. Then get him into bed while looking after my mum and making sure she was in, she'd showered and was in her pyjamas and had her, her medication, and then I could start my homework. Were you already exhausted? I was absolutely exhausted. I could barely keep my eyes open. Mm. I remember wishing I had pegs just to peg my eyelids open so I could stay awake and get everything I needed to done. I remember talking to a teacher. They had stopped me in class and asked why I was napping in the middle of music and I apologised and I said I'm really sorry but I fell asleep at five o'clock this morning and I was up at seven and I'm really tired and she didn't ask why I was up I simply got a lecture about staying up all night and being irresponsible without them understanding that until two o'clock in the morning I had been busy looking after my mum and my brother and trying to keep the house clean So your school and your teachers didn't know about what was going on at home? Not until I was 15 and my mum got really sick with what we now know was necrotizing fasciitis. And she ended up in hospital on life support and was life flighted to Sydney. And the hospital actually notified the school. Up until then, they didn't really have any idea I think the teachers at my brother's primary school thought I was just curious and wanting to just tag along and go to the parent-teacher meetings instead of realising that I was the one doing the parenting and that my mother was mainly the figurehead when it came to things like that. Certainly, certainly. Did life change for you and your brother when your respective schools found out about your caring role and what life was like at home for you? So nothing changed with my brother's school. I honestly think they didn't notify the primary school what had occurred. Um, They did notice that it was only my sister and I coming into parent-teacher meetings because she would have to drive me because I was still 15. I wasn't old enough to even get a licence, let alone a car. Mm. And my And still they didn't ask? No. Um, My school... When they were notified that our mum was in hospital, they got me to see the Aboriginal liaison officer and he asked me what was going on. And having it, someone who was also First Nations ask, Mm. it felt safer to tell him the reality of what was happening because he would understand better than anyone else in a position of power that this is what's happening without feeling the threat of my family being taken yeah. and being separated from my siblings. 
So was that one of the reasons why you also kept quiet about the issues at home? We kept quiet because we were raised from a very young age to know that family can be taken and there's nothing you can do. Once you open your mouth, that's it, your family's gone. And you didn't want your siblings and yourself to be in the system and possibly separated? I didn't want my family to be taken and separated. I didn't want my mum to be left to rot in that house with no help and no support. And I didn't want to be responsible for the dissolution of my family. Yes, of course. And that's not something that any 15-year-old should ever have to consider. I'm amazed that you still have such a sense of fire and ambition and passion within you, given that that could potentially have easily just dried up and burnt out. Now, halfway through year 11, which is the second last year of high school for our overseas listeners, your school sent you a letter stating that your attendance, or rather lack thereof, meant that you were not eligible to pass the HSC, the higher school certificate. What happened after that? Tell us about alternative entrance pathways that are accessible for students and especially for carers. This is going to be life-changing for so many people listening. So I, after I received the letter from the school, it was incredibly gut-wrenching. I thought to myself, that's it. I've ruined my future. There's just, there's nothing I can do. You know, I'm not going to be able to go to university now and I'm not going to be able to get out of poverty. So you always had the ambition and the drive to go to university and to study. Is that right? So I'd always wanted to go to university and get out of poverty and see the world Mm. and help people. I didn't know what I wanted to do um, when I was younger and, but at As I got older, I slowly but surely figured out what I wanted to do with my life. And when I got that letter from my school, I thought, that's it. There's there's nothing else I can do. And what happened after that? After that, I took a break for around a year. Did you withdraw? So I simply never went back. Um, I was sent... The letter mentioned that I had not attended enough and I had two choices. I could withdraw by myself or I would be expelled from school. There was no recourse. I could not redo year 11. That was it. Wow. And it was incredibly upsetting at the time. I withdrew from my social circle and honestly hid away outside of the caring role. I It was almost as if I didn't exist for that year. It's almost like you had to mourn that aspect of yourself or that possibility that you thought was always going to be available for you. I was mourning the chance to go to university and the chance to leave poverty behind me. Ooh, I'm going to insert myself just here. I do hate to interrupt, but there's so much more to Sierra's story that you'll find inspirational that we decided to split her Carer Conversations episode into two parts. You've just heard part one. And in honour of NAIDOC week, we will be releasing part two in just a few weeks. National NAIDOC week celebrations are held across Australia in the first week of July each year. So it goes from Sunday to Sunday. And it's done to celebrate and recognise the history, culture and achievements of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples. NAIDOC week is an opportunity for all Australians to learn about First Nations cultures and histories and to participate in celebrations of the oldest continuous living cultures on this land. 
you can support and get to know your local Aboriginal and or Torres Strait Islander communities through activities and events that are held across the country. So if you thought this part of Sierra's life was inspiring, well, buckle up for what is about to unfold in part two. There are quite a few plot twists that include, but are not limited to, a racist lecturer, connecting to alternative school pathways instead of finishing school, needing to drop out of her cert three in aged care because her mum's health had deteriorated so much, having to get a job to make ends meet when her sister moved out, to ultimately gaining entry into university before discovering that she... Actually, I'm not going to tell you. In fact, I know this is normally where we do our rapid-fire wrap-ups, but this week, I'm going to ask you about whether or not you enjoy reading spoilers when you're about to watch a movie or a TV show. I'll tell you mine if you tell me yours. In fact, if this is an episode you did find inspiring, subscribing and leaving us a five-star review will make all the difference in the world to us. And if you have any suggestions about upcoming episodes or wish to share your opinion, you can always email us at cgconnections at benevolent.org.au. I've got that email in the show notes and you can attention Patty in the subject line and that's spelled P-A-T-T-Y. Now, as for spoilers, yes, indeed. It is a notorious toxic trait of mine. I love them. I read recaps and spoilers before watching the next episode. I find it thrilling that I still get surprised even though I know it's going to happen. So until I'm in your ears next time for part two, take really good care of yourself, my friend. Bye for now. If you are caring for a relative or a friend who has a disability, a mental health condition, a life-limiting health or medical condition, or they are frail because they're getting older, please contact us at Carer Gateway on 1800 422 737 or look us up on www.carergateway.gov.au. And if you are a carer, you're allowed to take time to look after yourself. You are just as important as the person you take care of.